Blessed be your name when I found in the desert place, the walk in the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. When the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering. Those pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Psalms 104 and verse 16, it says, The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, and the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. And I know that's a short verse. And basically, um, the reason why I wanted to read that this morning is as I was doing my um, just quiet time this morning, it was just a really cool revelation that when we look at the trees outside and we look at how well they do and we look at how they've nourished you know, and they've grown um, tall and green and, and strong, we think that it's a blessing that they've made it to that point and that it's a it's a kind of a great sight to kind of drive down the road and see them and then we think how long it took them to get to that point and so as Christians we kind of see ourselves and we can kind of be in that same position kind of like the cedars and the oaks and all the other trees we've started as sprouts and we've been watered and the sun has shined down on us and um, over time we've grown and just like the trees have grown we grow each and every day and as we seek the Lord he will shine 
you know, light down on us, and he will give us nourishment. He will grow us, and he will change us and turn us into what, into what he wants us to be. And just like the trees are what they are now, um, God isn't finished with, with us yet, and he's still growing us. So as we continue to sing um, about that good, good Father, we continue to sing of his great and holy name. Let's uh, just continue to sing this morning. It's who you are. 
Last song we're going to sing before we have our offertory hymn is Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And this is a, an older one that we've probably sang in church before. So let's sing together about how holy and, and great he is this morning. And holy, 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 Lord God. rise to thee holy 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons blessed trinity holy 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 all the saints adore thee Casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Two was and is and evermore shall be. God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you so much for another wonderful day, God. We thank you for the visitors, and we thank you for those who are in our family that have returned this Sunday just to sing and to listen to your word, Father. I pray, Lord, as we uh, listen to what James would have to say this morning, our Father, it would just be your words, and that James would deliver it the way, that Lord, that you've brought it to him, Father. Help us to be attentive. Lord, help us to listen, and Lord, help us to be changed as we leave this place. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you this morning, I pray, Lord, that they would meet you in this place, Father, and that we would just be filled with joy um, as we leave here. And it's your name I pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, excited about being here if you would if you got your word with you your bible with you turn to colossians chapter 1 we're going to be picking up in 15 uh and we'll go to 23 and then uh next week and uh we'll, next weekend we'll have the uh, missions week and the week after that we'll finish up chapter one um i want to just say uh, one thing real quick um about the missions week next week um 
I haven't had the chance to talk to Jessica about her trip as much as I, I've wanted to, uh, but obviously I live with Sarah and my wife, so I talked with her plenty about hers. And then last week I got to talk with Zach about his trip to uh, Turkey, uh, his mission trip. And uh, we sat there and we talked for about four hours about this trip to uh, Turkey. And um, so I told him he had to condense that down to about 10 to 15 minutes for all of us next week. So uh, hopefully there won't be no uh, issues with that. He'll, he'll do a good job. But it's just it's so interesting to hear. And he's going to talk to you about it. Um, but these group of people, uh, and we think about them so often, the Muslim uh, belief, uh, we think about them in in such a way that we don't think they're responsive or they're, they'll listen to anything. But where he went, they, they got to share the gospel with uh, different groups of Muslims and atheists, and they, they allowed them to talk. Uh, and so it's just an amazing experience. So, uh, and then Sarah's experience is amazing. As she got some good pictures and stuff we're going to show. And then Jessica, she's, well, she's told me, uh, I know she went last year, but it's totally different this year for whatever reason. Uh, so excited about next week. I hope you can join us as we uh, meet and we talk about missions because this is what we're called to do, not only share the gospel in Vernon and in Alabama, but also around the entire world. Uh, so excited about that. But this morning, um, as you can see on the screen, it says Colossians 1, 15 through 23. But underneath that, it's got these five things. It says Christ is person, power, preexistence, position, and passion. Uh, and it's a little different. I know I normally don't put all that up there. But this morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these five things about Christ. Because when we read Colossians chapter 1, what we're about to see is that it's talking about Jesus. Uh, and I don't know about y'all, but there's, not, there's nothing more that I would love to talk about and preach about this morning than who Christ is. Now, I will be completely honest with you. There's nothing that scares me more than presenting these five things because I, I'm trying to understand completely who Christ is, but that's something that you spend your entire life, and one day when we go to glory and we go to heaven, we'll spend an eternity trying to understand who Christ is. So I hope I, I do justice with it. But also after that, I want us to see how we respond to Christ this morning. So I'm going to pray real quick, and I'm going to read the Scripture, and then we'll get into it. Uh, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you um, for the simple fact that we can come to you, God, and just worship you as a body of believers, God. And I know sometimes it may just seem like uh, it's just another Sunday or it may seem like we really just don't know why we do this or, or what's the point in it this morning. Maybe it's been a bad week or a difficult week for some of us or maybe we just don't understand completely what all of this is about, God. I just pray that this morning as we open up your word and we see that who you are, and who Christ is, God, that maybe it all make a little more sense to us, God. I just pray as I present the words that Paul tells the church of Colossae, God, that uh, we know that you've inspired and, and this is your words to not only that church, God, but to all churches in all time, God. And so I pray that the words I say are your words and your words alone and nothing of my own. And God, I just pray that we receive it. I pray that you speak to our hearts in the way that you feel fit this morning, God, and that we respond. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that today would be that day. But God, I also pray for us that do know you, God, that today be that day that if we're not living for you as we're called to, God, that we go into the world and we live as your children, God, because you are a good, good Father that takes care of us, God. And I pray we hold on to that this morning. And I just pray this in your Son's 
holy and perfect name. Amen. This morning, let's read, uh, starting in verse 15. It says this, that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. For it has pleased the Father that in Him all fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, rather things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross." And you once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of the flesh through the death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. And this side, if indeed you continue in faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which, which I which under which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. When we read through all this, I'm going to explain it. Uh, and I meant to say this earlier, and I want to say it to us this morning. If you, um, maybe you didn't get one, but if you got the bulletin or maybe you got your own paper, as I preach through this this morning, maybe there's something that you get a question about that I don't answer, uh, like you, you kind of get enough from it and you want me to answer it later on. Write down questions, write down comments, uh, make notes about what God's Word says, and uh, if you have any questions about it, talk to me about it, and we'll try to uh, have a good understanding of God, what God's Word says together. Uh, because if we don't truly understand what God is saying in all of this, then what's the point in it? And so I pray that if, if you have questions, you write it down, you come to me and we'll talk about it. But he starts off in verse 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All right, so to understand this, we've got to kind of address uh, this idea that, that we see throughout Scripture, and we actually sang it in the last song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three persons in one, the Holy Trinity. All right, so what that means is that we have a God that is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to go in depth about that, but what we see is that God the Father is in heaven and He sits on the throne and we cannot see God the Father. And then God the Holy Spirit is a spirit in sense, and so we cannot physically see the Holy Spirit either. And so what we see in verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God. When he says He here, he's talking about to Christ, because in 13 and 14 that we read last week, he says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, talking of Christ, that He is Christ. And so he's talking about Christ is the image of the invisible God, and really what that means is that Christ is the person of the Trinity that we can see. Uh, and obviously you may be thinking, well, I have never seen Christ face to face. But if you read throughout uh, Scripture, but also if you even look in history books, they see that Christ existed, right? Some people would just deny that He was God and some people would say He's a prophet. But we as believers know that He is a perfect and holy God and He is the image of God Himself. And so Christ is the person of the Trinity that we can see and 
because we can see it, we can worship God because of Him. I wanted to read John 14, 8 through 11. Uh, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And yet have you not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not remember that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak uh, to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, and else, or else believe me for the sake of those work, uh, of the works themselves." So Jesus is talking to Philip, and, and Philip, he asked him this question. He says, he's talking to Jesus, he says, can we see the Father? Can we see God the Father? And Jesus says, look, have I not been with you for a while now, and do you not understand that when you see me, you see the Father? So Jesus is teaching the same concept that Paul is talking about. First and foremost is that Christ is the image of the invisible God, that He is the person of God that we can see. So what we see in all of the scripture, first and foremost, is Christ is the person of, uh, is the image of the invisible God, the person of Christ. And really what's so significant about it is that God himself, because Christ is God, he steps out of heaven. He steps out of this perfect and holy place that he's always been. And we're going to see that in a second. And he steps out of heaven. And what he does is he takes on the form of a man. He takes on a form and he, he looks like you and I. He, he, he has flesh and he, he, he walks among us and he lived on this earth. And when he lived on this earth, he lived uh, up until the point that he died on the cross. And in all of that time period, he was a perfect individual. And that is so significant that we say that Christ is the person of the Trinity. That we see the personhood of Christ. Because that is so significant for our salvation. Then in verse 16, he goes on to say, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or dominions or principalities of power. All things were created through Him and for Him. This is something that I just love to talk about, the creation of mankind, the creation of this world. And when you keep on reading, if you read John 1 and 1.14, I want to go ahead and read it for us, and then we'll talk. It says, In the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning was the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. But then in 14, he goes on and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and behold, His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That the Word was in the beginning, but then it became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the beginning was the Word, which was Christ, and then He came and He dwelt among us. And so why is that so important when we look at the creation of everything there is, the visible and invisible? It's because when you read the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1, what we see is that God created everything by speaking. That God, He spoke and it came into existence. He spoke and everything was created. Everything was created through Christ. And then He goes on, He says, the visible and invisible. And really the visible is kind of very simple, right? The visible is what you see. It's, uh, it, it can be the stars, the sun, it could be the, the planet itself, it could be birds, animals, you and me. The visible is the things that we can understand, that we see, that was created in Christ. So if, if, just do me a favor here. I want you to look at the person to your left or right, or if you're Troy and you're by yourself, look behind you, forward, or however you want to do it. 
Everything you see was created by Christ. The individual to your left or right in front or back. That person was created by Christ. And why that is so important is because you were created by Christ, but also what we see is for Christ. You were created for Christ, that you as an individual have a purpose in this life. It's not to just live here and make money, pay bills, and then eventually die. Because really, when you think about it, when we spend 40, 50 hours a week at a job, and, and then sometimes we don't do anything outside of that but maybe watch TV, it just seems like life just goes on and seems pointless. But it's not. God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. But what we see in all of this, what we see in Christ creating everything, and that we were created for Christ, is the power of Christ. That, 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 God, that Christ is so powerful that He created everything. You know, I think about Steve a lot because, uh, you know, he used to build houses for a living for those that didn't know. And if you took a pile of wood and nails and screws and everything else you got to have for building a house and you put it in the middle of this parking lot here and I had to build a house with it, I couldn't. You can ask Lynn. He helped me build things a lot. Uh, I just couldn't make this happen. And, you know, and it takes somebody that's knowledgeable and powerful enough to do that. And, you know, I think of Steve, you know, he knows how to do that. He's, he's got that power to build houses. Uh, and, and, but think of who Christ is. That, that what we see in the beginning of time, there was nothing. And Christ is so powerful that He took absolutely nothing. And, and to really understand that you would have to take everything away and then take the breath away, the light away, and everything, and then create everything. And you know, and that's such a complex thing, even if you just look at the human structure, how amazing and how powerful Christ is. So, so far we see that Christ is the person of the Trinity that we can see. He is the visible of the invisible God. And then we see that He is the, the power of Christ. But then we want to go into the idea that He is the pre-existing one. In verse 17 it says, And He is before all things, and Him in all things consists. This is a hard thing to understand, but when we read John 1, 1, we see the same concept. That in the beginning was Christ. Christ has always been, the Trinity has always been, before the world was created, God existed. And I know that's hard to wrap our minds around because you really want to think about how is that even possible. But it's not possible outside of the power of God in Christ Jesus. And so what we see is that Christ is the pre-existing one. He, he is the pre-existing Lord and Savior. But what is so significant about Christ being the pre-existing one is that when we read uh, Ephesians and 1 Peter and, and Galatians, what we see is that in the beginning of time, before the world was even created, that Christ was planned to come and be the sacrifice for us. That God intended, before He created mankind, He intended to send Christ to be the Savior for humanity because He knew they would be sinful and broken. And, and that to me is so powerful. I've done sermons on it before, but it's just so powerful that God loved us so much that when He, he looked out into the, 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 the future and He sees that, that we were going to be sinful, we were going to be fallen, if we're all going to be honest, that's you, right? You make mistakes, you sin, you fall, you, you say things you shouldn't say, you do things you shouldn't say, you treat people ways you shouldn't treat them. We all sin, we all make mistakes, but before we even were born, God had planned to send Christ Jesus to be the sacrifice for us. That is love. did a sermon one time on that, and I asked you all the question, 
is if you took a vow that said that you were going to spend uh, the rest of your lifetime in misery, uh, full of cheating and hard times with your spouse, would you take them? And we all said no, right? We agreed that we wouldn't say I do if we knew our whole life would be torture from that point forward. But that's what Christ did. That God, before the foundation of the world, He saw that we would be sinful and we would reject Him. But He chose to love us through it. So this morning we see that He is the, pre, the pre-existence of Christ. Then we go on, we're going to look at the position of Christ. You know, we, so often we think about Christ as, you know, we, a lot of times we think of Him one or two ways. We think of the baby Christ that was born in a manger. Or we think about the crucified Christ. But so often I think we forget about where Christ is today. In verse 18 and 19 it says, For He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all fullness should dwell. Christ, uh, He came, he, He was born in that manger like we've talked about, and then He lived a life for about 30 years. He started a ministry. He lived perfectly, and then eventually he got beat half to death, hung on a cross, nailed on a cross, and then he died for our namesake. But after that death, after that death, what happened was three days later, he resurrected again. He, he defeated hell, death, the grave, and sin. And so now, and then after that, for 40 days, he lived on this earth. For 40 more days after his resurrection, he lived with the disciples, teaching them even more. And then what happens, we see in uh, Matthew 28, and we see it in more in depth in Mark and Matthew, Mark and John and Luke. What we see is the ascension of Christ back into heaven. We see God, we see Christ go back into heaven, and when He goes back into heaven, what happens is He sits down on the throne of God. That Christ is sitting on the throne where He always uh, belonged, but because He loved us so, He stepped out of it to die for us. But now He's sitting on the throne, and because of that, what we see in verse 18, He says, He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. That Christ is the one that is over the church. Um, And why that is so significant, it's kind of a three-folded thing here, is that when we think of the church uh, you probably think of that individual church that you drive by or maybe even Lighthouse Community Church that you're sitting in. Uh, a lot of times that's what we think of when we think of the church. We think in that kind of mindset. But this morning, I want to present three things for us when we look at the church. It's the individuals that make up the church. It's the local church. And it's the universal church. Um, and I remember one time I did a sermon, and I'm not going to do it again. Well, we did the, the steeple thing. Y'all know what that is? Here's the people, steeple. Yeah, I don't remember it. Uh, we watched a video on it. But anyway, what we see in all this is that the church is more than just the local church. The church is made up of individuals. It's made up of you and I. And so what is so significant about us making up the church is that Christ has to be the head of the body. He has to be the head of us that are called to be His followers. That If, we hear, if you're sitting here and you claim to be a follower after Christ, That Christ should be the center of your life. He should be the head of your life. He should be the one that leads and guides and directs your life. He's not only a Savior, but He's the Lord of your life. And so what that means is that 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 means your spouse cannot be the Lord of your life. The spouse can't be the head of your life. The husband or the wife, that means your children can't be the head of your life. That means your work can't. That means uh, whatever your hobbies are, that can't be the, the head of your life. But Christ must be. 
And why that is so significant is because we forget this sometimes. Because if we're just going to be honest, how many of you ever been to it? And don't raise your hand, please. But if you've ever been to a church and it was just broken and sinful and it just it was a horrible experience. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've ministered there before and got broken and treated badly and wanted to quit. See, it's because we as individuals, we forget to put Christ as the head and that's where the mistakes fall into. It's not that Christ makes mistakes. It's not that Christ isn't the head of the church. It's that we as individuals don't put Him as the head of our lives. And because we don't put Him the head of our lives, then the next thing messes up is the local church. We look for our own preferences. We live like we want to live. And so the local church doesn't have Christ at the center. Christ should be the center of everything we do here at this church. And really what that means, that means a lot of things. That means that whenever we make a decision, Christ should be the one that guides that decision. That means when we do an event, that Christ should be the center of that event. That means when we talk to one another, that Christ should be the center of that discussion. That means when we, uh, we sit under the preaching of God's Word, it's got to be Christ-centered. When we sit under the, the songs and we worship, that means that it's got to be Christ-centered. Everything that we do at this church has to be centered in Christ. If not, then we're really not a church. If Christ isn't the center of everything we do, and our goal isn't to make disciples of Christ, then we're messing up and we're making a mistake somewhere. And then the last thing is the universal church. So often we kind of forget about this one uh, because it's kind of like the invisible thing. It's like we don't see it. We don't really see the universal church. And the universal church is simple. It's all believers in all churches that are in Christ Jesus. That means it's that believer that lives in Uganda. That means it's that believer that lives in Portland, Oregon. That means it's that believer that lives down at the beach, that lucky person. That means it's the believers that live here in Alabama. That means it's the believers that live in Turkey or wherever it may be. All believers in Christ Jesus make up the universal church. That means it's that church that is being persecuted right now because where they live they can't declare Christ but they have to meet underneath a house and hide from society. It's that church that, this, just like us right now, sitting under the preaching of God's Word on Sunday morning. All churches fit under the universal church, and Christ is the head of that. Christ must be the head of our, us as individuals, us as a local church, and us as a universal church. Because he goes on in verse 18, at the end of that, he says, He may have all preeminence. Uh, and really what that means is sufficiency. That means uh, supremacy. That Christ is over all things. Because as we just looked about in verse 16, Christ has all power and authority. That in everything He does, He does in the power of God. And when He spoke, everything come into existence. That Christ should be the center and the head of the church because He is the one that has saved the church. And then I want to really end in 20 through 23, and this is kind of the last thing we're going to see about Christ, is the passion of Christ. What is Christ's desire? Why did He step out of heaven for what? Why did Christ come and live and be born in such a horrible place? And why did He love us even though He knew He would be beaten and hung on a cross? This right here is Christ's passion. Verse 20 through 
3, I want to read it. It says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, or having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you were once alienated and enemies in your mind of wicked works, and yet now he is reconciled in the body of the flesh of death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. I'm going to stop there. The first thing we see is that he says, By him reconciled all things to himself. And really to explain this, I just want to talk about for a second what we see in Romans is that Paul, he teaches about the sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, we all know that, right? We, we as men, we blame the women, right? Uh, Eve ate that apple. Or we as, you as women may blame the man for not being the husband that he was supposed to be. You know, we all joke and argue and play about this. But in reality, it all goes back to that moment. And when that moment happened, what you see in Genesis chapter 3 is that God cursed man, He cursed woman, He cursed the earth, and He cursed Satan. And then when He did all of these things, what happened was the peace that God had with humanity and every creation ceased to exist. See, before this, God walked on the earth with Adam and Eve. In the cool of the morning is what we see. And so God was in perfect harmony with His creation. But when sin happened, what happened is that it alienated us from the Father. That good, good Father that we sang about, you know, God is a great and perfect and holy Father. And for some of us, that may be hard for us to understand. Maybe your Father wasn't a good, loving Father like some have. But our Father in Heaven is. And what happened when we sin and we fall short of who God is, is we alienate ourselves from Him. And because of that, what's going to happen is that if we're alienated from the Father in this life, and that we never come to Christ in salvation and trust on the blood of Christ to save us, then what happens is we're alienated from Him forever thereon. So what we see is that first and foremost, that all of creation is alienated from the Father, but Christ has fixed that. He goes on, he says, Rather things on earth or things in heaven have made peace through the blood of His Christ. That Christ came, and when He came, he, he, he died on the cross, but He saves us, right? We now can have redemption through Christ Jesus and have salvation in Him because of the blood of the cross. But it also is going to bring peace to the world one day. What we see in Revelations is that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be perfect, and God will be at peace with all of creation because of this blood of Christ. But why do we talk about the blood of Christ? Why is the blood so significant? It all goes back to Exodus uh, well, not Exodus. Yeah, it would have been Exodus, the first part of Exodus. It all goes back to that moment when the Israelites was um, enslaved by the Egyptians. And when they were enslaved by the Egyptians, many of you may know this story, is that Moses, um, he comes to Pharaoh, he tells Pharaoh, look, let, let God's people go, and, and nothing bad will happen. And then some plagues happen, some horrible things happen, and Pharaoh never listens. And then this last plague comes, and he tells them, he says, Look, Pharaoh, if, if you don't let God's people go, what's going to happen is he's going to kill all the firstborn children unless they have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And, and they didn't listen. 
And we see after that, Pharaoh let the people go, but he still chased it after them, and then God delivered them. But the significance in that is that the blood over the doorpost caused the judgment of God to pass over the individual family. And so when this, when this punishment passed over them, they were saved from the punishment of God. And our lives are no different. We now have the, the blood of Christ that covers our life. And when that covers our life on the day of judgment and in this life, then what's going to happen is, is God's judgment of our sin is going to pass over us because of the blood of Christ. And we see that this is the desire of Christ. is to save those that are lost. To reconcile those that have been alienated. To make a, a family of those that are enemies. See, this is the reality, is that we have rebelled against God in our own sin. And that rebellion caused uh, alienation, and that alienation causes punishment. And that punishment causes death, and not only a physical death, but an eternal death. But now, through Christ Jesus and the blood of the cross, we have an opportunity to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. If you're here, and maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what you're missing. You're missing the reconciliation that God has offered through Christ because you haven't accepted Christ as that Lord and Savior. Well, maybe you're here, and you have, and you've accepted Christ, but when you think about all of these things that we've talked about this morning, when you think about the person of Christ, when you think about the power of Christ, the pre-existence of Christ, the position of Christ, and then the passion of Christ, when you think about all of these things together, you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with all of that? What am I supposed to do with the fact that Christ is the person of God? What am I supposed to do with the fact that God, that Christ has all power and authority? What am I supposed to do is that God loved us so much that in the beginning of time that He preexisted for our namesake. What am I supposed to do with God being the head of the church? This morning when we look at the application to all of this, it's really plain and simple. First and foremost, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, Paul is talking about Jesus. He is talking about our Lord and Savior being perfect and holy and all-powerful, and that alone should excite us if we follow after Jesus. Because now we know we have no pain, no sorrow, no worry, no, 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 nothing. We have all peace because of who Christ is. Because He is these five things. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. Maybe you're here and you don't know that He is the person of the invisible God. Maybe you don't truly understand His power. Maybe you don't truly understand the love that He had for us, that in the beginning of time He, he came for us. But you don't understand that He should be the center of your life and that His desire was to save us. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ, but you feel something going on inside of you and you feel the Holy Spirit telling you that it's time for you to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Then my prayer would be that exactly, that you would be reconciled to God the Father so that you can truly sing a song that says, We have a good, good Father. Maybe you're like a lot of us. You're here. You've come to Christ in salvation. You've accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. And you just want to know how to, to live like you're supposed to, what to do uh, with all of this this morning. First thing I wanted you to know is that you were created by Christ. You were created by Christ. And because you were created by Christ, He has a purpose for you. That first purpose was reconciliation, but that second purpose is so that you can do what He's called you to do. That Christ, think about this, Christ, He came in His only life on this earth, He died for you. He died for me. And what He calls us to do is to surrender our lives and live for Him. 
If you really think about it, it's not that much he's asking for. It's like uh, Jesus was teaching and he gives this parable of the one that has this treasure and he has just a little bit of money, but he finds this piece of land. And in this piece of land, he finds this treasure that's been buried there. And so he finds this treasure, and this treasure is just, it's just full of wealth. But he's got just a little bit of money. And so what he does is he buries the treasure back, and he goes and he buys that land. And he spends everything he has for the big treasure, right? See. So our salvation is the same way. When we come to Christ as our Lord and Savior, what we're doing is we're giving up this little bit of our life, and we're giving up this little bit of who we are to receive something greater than we can ever imagine, and that is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And because of that, we're called to live for Him. He has created you, but He has also created you for Himself. And so as we've talked about the last few weeks, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to share the gospel with people. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about the death and resurrection of Christ and now the hope that you have found in Him. Tell people how to follow after Christ. Take somebody, sit them down and, and teach them the Word of God. Maybe it's to meet somebody's need, to, to, to share Christ with them through your actions. We're called to do something. We're not called to salvation just to sit in church or just to go to work and come home. We're called to salvation for God's purpose. And that purpose is to see other people come to Christ and ultimately to worship Him. So this morning as we've looked at the person of Christ, the power of Christ, the pre-existence of Christ, the position of Christ, and the passions of Christ, what it should lead us to is simple. First and foremost is salvation. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I pray you come to know Him. If He's calling you, you respond. Second off, we're called to live for Him. If you're here and you know Jesus, my prayer is that you, if you're not already, live for Him. Share the gospel with that person that you see day in and day out, and you know who that doesn't follow Jesus, and you already have that relationship with Him. Make great of God through the way that you work. Work hard. Do, give it all that you have. Not so people can look at you and say, man, that's, that's a good man. He's a hard-working man. He's a self-made man. But so people can look at you and say, man, I, he's working for something greater than himself. And ultimately, trust in God. Because we see that Christ had all power and authority to create everything and then to save everything. So why would he send you out to do something and not give you the strength to do it? This morning, if you're here, as Troy comes, and maybe you, you want to talk to me about something, maybe you got questions, maybe uh, you feel Christ is calling you to something greater, I pray that you respond. I pray that you come to Christ in salvation if that's what He is requiring of you. Or maybe you're here and you follow after Christ and you're thinking, well, I really just I don't live like I need to live. I don't trust in Christ like I need to. I don't do what I'm called to do. And you just want to trust in Him today to empower you and to strengthen you. Maybe you want to pray where you are. Maybe you want to come down and pray. However you want to do it, that's up to you. But also, maybe you're here and you're like, man, God's given me everything I got. He's, he's created me a new heart and a new person. So I just want to stand and I want to praise Him this morning. Then you have that opportunity as well. However God is calling you, I pray that you respond. To Heavenly Father, we come now. We thank you for this day, and we thank you for all that you are and who you are, God. God, I, I, I thank you for Christ. God, I thank you that he is the visible of the invisible, God, that through him we see you and we can be reconciled to you, God. God, I thank you for Christ's power that he created all of us uh, through, that you used through Him, You created all things, God, and we thank You for that same power that has reconciled us to You. 
Thank you for the fact that he's pre-existing, God, that he has always been, and God, you will always be. And God, in that we can trust that you will never be, leave us alone, God, but you are always sitting on the throne. But this morning I pray that if someone here that has to respond in some way, one way or another, God, that you call them and you urge them, and God, they respond, and God, they do what you called them to do. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you. In your son's perfect and holy name, amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst at my side. Angels descending bring from above Echoes of mercy, whispers of love This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long